Welcome everyone to episode 187 of the Red Zone Restricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Mark Baker as we reflect on Liverpool's 4-0 win over Bournemouth. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So Liverpool are now five points clear at the top of the Premier League table after a resounding 4-0 victory over Bournemouth. Darwin Nunez opened the scoring shortly after half-time. Then Diogo Jota scored twice in the space of 10 minutes to seal the victory for Liverpool. And then Darwin Nunez again on the score sheet in stoppage time to add that fourth goal and make it a really emphatic victory for Liverpool on the road in a game that looked very tricky for them. We'll start, as we usually do on our post-match episodes, with a three-word match review. It's been a while since Liverpool have been in action, obviously, with this winter break, but a resounding uh, victory on their return. So... Mark, what would be your three-word summary of that and, and what did you make of that really impressive Liverpool performance? Yeah, just the, the, the three words would just be a great win, really, Dave. Um, obviously, with the circumstances, Liverpool having a little bit of an injury crisis at this moment in time, but Bournemouth coming into the game, having done really well over the last few weeks, I think, well, I don't know how many wins it was, was it seven in nine, something like that, I, I can't quite remember. But anyway, they seem to have really bought into the manager's sort of game plan, philosophy, style of play and the starting to obtain results. So it was always going to be a tricky game for Liverpool. Liverpool missing the, the top scorer and also um, the two most creative players, I suppose, in Alexander-Arnold and Salah obviously being the top goal scorer as well. So Liverpool with problems in the squad, missing key players, however, in the end, and I think the way Liverpool played the game in general, especially the amount of control they were able to have within the game, which I think they struggled with away from home. I think it was a real step in the right direction and a really good performance. Yeah, um, just on on Bournemouth's form, I just checked out while you were talking there, Mark. It was yeah, it was seven wins in ten coming into this, and they said in commentary during the game that going on form, these were the best two teams in the league at the moment or over that the sort of recent stretch. So shows you how difficult a fixture it was going to be, and um, no Salah, no Trent, no Sabasly, no Robertson away to a team who were doing so well and it just had the feel with all those absentees with Bournemouth's form with being sort of you know the January away from home fixture it, it kind of felt like everything was in place for Liverpool to slip up here especially maybe off the back of Man City getting that quite demoralising victory while Liverpool were kind of on the sidelines last week but um, obviously the first half was a bit of a not a struggle but maybe a bit of a slog for Liverpool they didn't really create anything. I just saw before we started recording then that didn't have a single shot inside the penalty area in that half. But I think you made a good point, Mark, when you said about the control they exerted within the game. Bournemouth didn't have a shot themselves until the 40th minute and that's not even a shot on target. That's just a shot of any description. I think that speaks to the fact that whilst Liverpool were suffering as we've spoken about before in this podcast, I think without those kind of um, combinations that they're used to in forward areas and without those two playmakers, which is predictable, I think they were still able to sort of hem Bournemouth in and you see those scenarios where the ball gets cleared down the pitch and it's the Liverpool player there to just recover it and then, you know, recycle and restart the situation again. So that was the good aspect. And then second half, I think Liverpool were just completely dominant and they started to create those high-quality chances. Um, Got the goal quite quickly, obviously, through Nunez. And then it always looked like a second one was coming um, from that moment. And obviously it took them about 20 minutes to get it in the end. But, you know, Bournemouth were really hanging on um, in that period. And I thought all Liverpool goals um, were really good today. So 
I've gone with best away performance. Uh, maybe not the best win. You could look at Newcastle and say that maybe, but certainly in terms of, you know, you mentioned Liverpool not always getting to their best level away from home. Mark, um, to, to go and do that today, I think is is a huge, huge boost and hopefully improves the confidence levels. I mean, how, how do you feel on the back of that about Liverpool? Um, you know, obviously it feels like every episode we're revisiting where Liverpool are at sort of title race-wise, but how much is a performance like that, given the deficiencies you mentioned away from home with, with controlling games and that being one of the team's big weaknesses? How much does that kind of reassure you that, you know what, they've actually got what it takes to have a really good go at winning this? Yeah, I think I mentioned in our podcast we've done previously, Dave, that my big concern for Liverpool was they just weren't able to dominate games away from home. And ultimately that meant that the outcome of the game was not a toss of a coin, but it wasn't always within Liverpool's grasp. Um, I hadn't been convinced about them away from home throughout the season up until a certain point of a few weeks ago. And I think them performances and the way they've been able to, to sort of gain the results and the manner of them has been a little bit different in the last couple of away performances. And I think it bodes well for Liverpool going into the, the final period of the season because if I think that they were, st- if they were still having them build up problems trying to play out and if they were still not able to sort of pen the opposition into their own half and recycle the ball, recycle attacks, um, I don't believe they could have won the Premier League because I just think ultimately they wouldn't have extracted enough points. Whereas this gives me a little bit a little bit more hope, especially against the team who was in such fine form going into it and obviously were full of confidence. I, I didn't think at any real stage I was concerned about Liverpool conceding a goal. And I always felt that although they may have struggled to actually create in the first half, that they were the dominant side and with a little bit more quality in that final third would mean that they'd enter the final third enough because the dominance they had to be able to, to, to gain the result, really. Yeah, it looked like it was going to be one that kind of required, you know, one maybe scrappy goal to settle it. Um, based on how the first half was going, obviously it didn't really pan out like that in the end. I mean, you mentioned Liverpool's away from there. Going back to the 1-1 draw with City on the 25th of November, Liverpool I have, I believe, and I'm just kind of scrolling through the games here to confirm this, but they've won every single away match barring the um, away game against Union SG in the Europa League, which was you know a game that didn't really matter for Liverpool. They'd already top of the group at that stage, obviously. So the results have been there, and I, I agree with you that the performances have been better too, which is obviously something that suggests that it can be sustained going forward. So hugely encouraging in that regard, definitely. Um, obviously, two players got um, a brace for Liverpool in this match. Diogo Jota um, was the first to do so. I mean, both goals, just absolutely brilliant finishes from him. Where do you think he ranks in terms of what echelon is he in as a finisher? Because it feels like he has proven this season again you know in a season that again has been interrupted by injury but he's been able to play more certainly than he had last year he's kind of reminded everyone that to be honest he's like right up there with the very best when it comes to burying those sort of half chances really yeah I think him touched on Jogo Jota a few weeks ago I think and I think one my my sort of stance on him was where he's so valuable to Liverpool I mean first of all I think he's the perfect kind of attacking squad player that an elite um, high-end team within divisions would need. He can operate over all sorts of the forward spots. And I think, and I mentioned this, I think his biggest um, sort of quality and trait is the way he's able to contort his body, his body mechanics, to be able to to shoot a goal um, in, in a variety of situations. And his coordination and his balance 
when he's actually taken on opportunities and his actual timing of his movement to be able to get into them opportunistic areas as well. I think with Diogo Jota, for example, I remember when Luis Diaz came in and he had a fantastic sort of second half of that season and it sort of put Diogo Jota on the sidelines. I think he had an injury and then he couldn't get back in because of Luis Diaz. And if you'd have said to me then, who was the more valuable of the two players? I thought sort of Lewis Diaz was sort of driving Liverpool on in that second half of that season. And he was, you know, that sort of 1v1 threat in wide areas. He could create separation between himself and a full-back. And he offered Liverpool some, uh, something in terms of giving them some extra width and, and sort of 1v1 um, attacking output to be able to to isolate defenders and, and cause the team's problems. And obviously that isn't really Diogo Jota's game. He's not fantastic in them 1v1 scenarios. But it's almost flipped in the sense that he's now become more valuable to Liverpool because actually his ability to affect the outcome of games, the timing of his movements and ability to, to, to finish, like you say, in, in terms of the opportunities that he gets, whether it be headers, left foot, right foot. I was looking at a statistic before, actually. I think he's got, it was on Twitter, um, and within his Liverpool career, because you'd have to think to yourself, he's had injuries and he's a player who often would come off the substitute bench and he, you'd always feel like he's sort of in and out of the team for whatever reason it is. But he's actually got, I think it was um, every 112 minutes, he's got a goal contribution, which you know just shows you what kinds of outputs he's capable of doing when you get him on the field to play. And like I say, with sort of his skill set, his skill set is almost different in the sense that he hates it inside the 18-yard box, so it doesn't matter which position that he plays in. He's able to find himself in areas to affect the outcome and ultimately affect the number of chances he, he gets. Because with, it, with in any game that he plays, you wouldn't say he's you know necessarily the, the biggest physical specimen or you wouldn't exactly say he's got massive acceleration. Don't get me wrong, he's a strong runner, a powerful runner when he gets into his stride, but it's his balance and coordination and the timing of his movements as well. And that ability to contort his body, strike off both feet with body mechanics, I think he's a, an absolutely fantastic option to have in that forward line. And I think he's, I mean, I don't actually know the statistics actually say for the, the last, you know, his last 20 performances for Liverpool. I think he's like his goal rate or his, his goal contribution rate's massively high as well. So he's a player who's banging form as well. I know that he's had his injury problems as he tends to pick up muscle injuries. But if you were playing, say, a final tomorrow, Diogo Jota would be in your side. I don't think that's there's any question about that. So different to a lot of sort of the Premier League wide players or players who operate between the wide area and the centre forward area in the sense that not you know uh, not hold up player, not a player who's brilliant and isolated one v one moments, but he's just got a little bit of everything and a fantastic finisher. And I felt today's two finishes were magnificent. The way he struck the ball, the cleanness of his strike and the way he was able to execute it into the bottom of the net and ultimately took the game away from them. Also, by the way, a fantastic pass to Darwin Nunes as well. And I think that's the great thing about him as well. He picks up the ball in little areas. He did it against the Arsenal as well, where he's able to evade pressure very quickly in the tightest of spaces and almost get his head up and be able to combine with players. And I think that, I just think he's moving into the stage of his career now with the sort of maturity level, the experience that he's got, that he's becoming even more deadly in them areas. And his decision making is now going to a higher level as well. Yeah, I think <clears throat> one thing I'd say about Jota is if he didn't play for Liverpool, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I could name a team in the world where he doesn't have a very good chance of, of getting into their front line. Um, even if, you know, like you say, he's not always 
the the most refined footballer in certain moments. You know, you can't argue with his ability to impact games and you know those little subtle traits that he has. And you you were spot on actually. Yeah, I mean, just got to tweet up here every 112 minutes for a goal contribution for him in the Premier League. Um, eight headed goals, eleven left foot goals, and nineteen right foot goals. So you can see that the balance of of scored in there, um, which is um, a huge asset to have, obviously. And I think, you know, you mentioned it at the end there, Mark. I mean, just the quality of the goals today. The one where he receives the ball from Gakpo, um, <clears throat> I think it was his first goal. Um, I actually looked at it and thought Gakpo had not played necessarily the best pass. I thought the pass was too close to the defender when it kind of comes his way. But I was just stunned that the ball actually went like the angle that he had, like the sort of the tiny corridor through which he could fire the ball and score there, having him to kind of find it in the way that he did. I mean, the precision was just unbelievable. I think, I don't know what the XG of that chance was, whether it kind of reflects how difficult it was, but to kind of manage to to score the way he did in that scenario, I mean, it was so, so difficult. And I was, to be honest, um, you know, obviously it celebrates the goal when it went in, but I was mostly just in disbelief that he'd managed to squeeze the ball in from, from that angle. Um, and he is just unbelievably deadly. And to be honest, if you said to me, you could have one Liverpool player kind of run through on goal 1v1 with the goalkeeper for a chance at the end of a, a final or something like that, I do think that I'd potentially just about lean Jota over Salah. Um, and obviously Salah's, you know, he's got 200 goals in Liverpool. No one needs to call his finishing ability into question. But I do think Jota's just got this absolute lethal trait in him. Um, and hopefully he can continue to show that this season. The other player who got um, a double today was Darwin Nunez. He's the first player um, based at the Premier League club to get 10 goals and 10 assists in all competitions this season. So his numbers, as much as has obviously been a struggle for him at times this season, are looking quite good. Um, and two really good finishes from a mark as, as he steps up Liverpool when needed today. Yeah, I think this is our favourite subject every time I come on, Dave Darwin Nunes. But as you know, I'm a massive fan of his. I was looking at it um, as well. I think in 18 starts, I think he's got now 20 goal contributions. Now, I always make the caveat that you know, when we talk about goal contributions, you're talking about assists, which are variable because they only tell you the outcome of the person who's obviously taken the chance. Although they can, I suppose, measure some kind of the amount of good chances that you are setting up for others. But even in terms of like we talked about um, on the, the previous podcast, I think in terms of every other sort of attacking action, attacking metric, he's in the you know, 90th percentile and above, whether it be touches in the opposition area, expect, expected assists, which is obviously a better measurement for how he creates for others. Um, obviously, XG, I mean, that's non-negotiable. Um I think progressive runs, progressive passes received. These are just some of the ones I'm, I'm throwing off the top of my head that I can remember. And I think, like we talked about before, I mean, to, to limit the analysis of somebody's game just based on the fact of if they take opportunities or if they don't take opportunities is just not enough detail on a player for me. I mean, when we talk about sort of XG and you know converting chances. Now, there's no doubt in my mind Darwin Nunes has fell way below that this season. There's no question. You know he's massively down now. Some of that's through poor finishing. I think some of that's through being a bit unlucky. To be perfectly honest with you, with some of the opportunities he's had and some great goalkeeping. But ultimately, we can't deny that he's down on that. But you can't just judge a player on on shot at, shot outcome if that makes sense. Because 
I mean, when you think about sort of XG, we know that Leo Messi, for example, is the one sort of outlier. So we, he, I don't know what it was, but it's something ridiculous in terms of how much he's outperformed his XG. He's just a master finisher. And I think in the Premier League, I think it's P- I think it's the two from Tottenham. Is it Son and Kane who were who pretty much up there? So what you don't t- tend to get normally is players who massively outperform their XG on a consistent basis because shooting is variable, isn't it? I mean, I remember Darwin Nunes, for example, when he was a... Benfica, I think in the last season, he was right up there in terms of actually taking chances. So we can see even in that one player, there's great variable between what he did at Benfica, for example, and what he's now done at Liverpool, which we know he's he's fell on the other end of the scale. So I think what you have to sort of measure it in is not in terms of if the player is taking them or not. Obviously, that comes into it, but it's got to be an accumulation of chances, hasn't it? And, you know, what you're noticeably going to do on a game-to-day game basis. Now, Darwin Nunes gets more chances, has more shots than I believe anyone probably in Europe. I've always said that he doesn't get enough credit for his movement because if he was taking these chances, everyone would be saying, what a fantastic, you know, oh, you know, he, he searches out chances, he's magnificent in the same time in time his runs, and so often he is. Because he he gets these opportunities through that 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 sort of sniff of the goal that he's got his his outstanding movements, but he's not always able to take the chances. But the fact that he's getting all of these chances, that's the sort of measurement of, I suppose you can measure him on. Because ultimately he's fell that much below what he should do this year. That at some point he's going to start evening out to a point where he's going to improve. So that's a bigger barometer of me of what his future is going to be because if you've got that variance of how he's done at Benfica and the variance of how he's done in the Premier League, he's probably going to fall somewhere in between. And if he falls somewhere in between, then Liverpool could have an absolute monster on their hand because every other aspect of his game is so high in terms of volume, attack and, attack and volume output, that he's a real player. And even in this season, for example, having 20 goal contributions in 18 starts, I mean, that says it all. And when you consider all the, the opportunities that he hasn't quite been able to take or, you know, even opportunities I can think that he's made for others, like Connor Bradley, for example, you know, this is a player who's a, who's a massively valuable option for Liverpool. And I've said this before as well. I think this is reflected in the numbers. The difference between Liverpool's actual attack and output and what they're able to generate with him on the field and not on the field is massively different as well. So I just have been frustrated over the last few weeks over some of the 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 sort of criticism that he's got. I understand that it's easy in football, players miss chances, et cetera, et cetera, and it's easy to, to just look at that as the sole sort of metric you value them on. But that can't be the case with Darwin Nunes. Even the third goal today, Dave, just his physicality to be able to, I think it was the third goal, where his physicality just to be able to make something or nothing. And so often when he's actually making these chances or chances are falling to him, he's, they're made either by his movements or his perseverance. And you can't really measure that. So, so that's the only thing. The fact that he's creating or getting into the right areas says to me that he is going to be more prolific than he has been. And the rest of his game, the more experience he gets, the fact that he continually gets into the right areas, I just think Liverpool have got a really top player on their hands. And if he can improve that sort of conversion rate just a bit to the end of the season, he could be the difference with Liverpool potentially achieving what they, they would like to really. Yeah, because if you have you know Salah coming back, Nunez matching his XG. And I, I feel like I've made this point so many times in this podcast. You know, you mentioned how high the numbers are. If he scored at that rate per 90 minutes, you'd have two basically absolutely world-class goal scorers in the same team. And that is the kind of thing that 
can make the difference, like you say. I think it's a really good point you make as well, an important one about the role he played in that goal um, as well for, for Jota. Because there's a lot of times when I look at him like, you know, you are like six foot two, you have got this big physical presence. Like I remember when we faced Benfica in the Champions League and I looked at him like he was going to be a physical handful when he got this move to, whether it was a Premier League or, you know, a big team in elsewhere in Europe. Um, and I don't think we've seen that enough during Liverpool career, but there's been a few moments this season, you know, I think back to maybe the game against Wolves as well. And um, when he comes off the bench and, you know, I think it was against Craig Dawson, he had a really good sort of, instance of hold-up play there and just really strong play from him as well, which I think is something he can bring to the table hopefully more frequently. And um, I think generally with Nunez, I mean, you mentioned how often we we discuss him and he has been some someone who's been like, I think, one of the most like enigmatic footballers ever since he sort of arrived at Liverpool, really. But it kind of does feel like we're reaching a point now where a lot of Liverpool fans are at peace with, with what he is and that currently is an unreliable finisher, but someone who's an incredibly impactful forward for Liverpool. And, you know, it's I can say that now, and then maybe whether it's against Fulham in the next game or the next uh, Premier League game against Chelsea, if he misses a big chance, and maybe the conversation is different again. And, and what I'm saying now is just invalidated, but it kind of feels like we've, we're finally beginning to accept as a whole, as a fan base, you know, the kind of player Darwin Nunez is, the value that he has, the, the limitations that he has, but the fact that he is very much a net positive for Liverpool um, on the whole. Um, in terms of other players that stood out, um, I'll just run through a few quickly and then throw it over to you, Mark. I thought Alexis McAllister had probably his best performance on the defensive side of the ball in that number six position today. Um, a few stats, actually, from that, that squawker posted on Twitter about his performance that really caught my eye. Um, no Liverpool players made more tackles in a Premier League game in the last eight seasons than McAllister did today. He made nine. And he won possession 15 times and won 14 duels. I mean, those absolutely monster numbers from him. Um, and kind of tallied with what you were seeing um, with your eyes, I think, especially in the first half. Um, elsewhere, I'd say Virgil van Dijk, another sort of trademark game from him and that it was really understated, but very solid. He also blocked five shots in this game as well. Um, so some really important interventions there. He was a, a brick wall at the back. And Connor Bradley too, um, getting the assist late on. For Nunez, um, and to be honest, passing every single test that he's facing at the moment, and a huge asset to Liverpool in these past few games. Obviously, man of the match against uh, Fulham in the League Cup too. Just, just a huge asset because of Trent's absence coming at possibly the the worst time in the season, and I think he's really took his opportunity to sort of say, Do you know what, I'm ready to kind of be. Um, obviously, this is a, this is a bit of a jump, but I'm ready to be kind of that Costas Simakas figure in the right back position and we'll see you know, there will be bumps in the road with a player who's that young and doesn't have that much experience at the top level but um, I think you know we saw how impressive he was at Bolton last season This he, when he was at Bolton he won player of the season voted by the fans players player of the season and young player of the season like he, he swept all the awards so he's absolutely brilliant when he was there um, so maybe it shouldn't be too much of a surprise that he's kind of you know flying in the team at the moment, but, you know, just a really important contribution from him over the past few games. Um, what about you, Mark? Who stood out for you aside from the goal scorers? Yeah, I think the same, the same people you mentioned, Dave, I thought Conor Bradley's done brilliantly since he came into the team. I really do. I mean, I know Liverpool think highly of him, don't they? And I think Klopp sees him as a, a future starter for Liverpool, depending obviously on what, where we go with Trent Alexander-Arnold and things like that. But, but certainly, um, 
he's going to be in the squad as a right back for Liverpool, whether that's starting or coming off the substitute bench. And I think you you can probably see why over the last couple of games that he's played coming in. I don't think he could have done more, more impressively, to be perfectly honest. Not on the defensive side, but also on the ball as well. He looks a really really fine footballer. Um, I thought the the two centre halves. Uh, I, I agree, Kanati and Van Dijk. I think that the I mean Van Dijk's been brilliant all season, but the, over the last few weeks, I think Kanati as well. I, I think he's really stepped up a level, and we know with him, it's just a key case of can you keep him fit long enough? And I think again, Liverpool's sort of success might hinge on him staying fit, really, because. I felt it was one of his best actual games for Liverpool in general. I felt tonight, I felt, I felt he was excellent. Um, not just in terms of defensively, we know how dominant he is in sort of duels, managing space, all that kind of thing. And again, he was today. But I felt on the ball as well. I think he's made strides in that in that respect. I think we talked about it last time in the sense that if you are the opposition, obviously you're not wanting to give Virgil van Dijk the ball when you, you're setting up your pressing structure. But I think Kanati's actually added a lot more sort of value to what he can actually do with the ball now in terms of stepping out progressive carries and also I thought the, the quality of some of his switches today to that left sort of left hand side were excellent since it always but almost Van Dyke reminiscent in the way he's just lofting balls to be able to switch the play and, and set Liverpool on the attack on the in the final third. So I was really impressed with him and I think he's been really good over the last few weeks. But I felt apart from Diogo Jota, Alexis McAllister was the best player on the pitch for me. Um, I felt in the first half he was magnificent and I think he had a really good second half as well and I think you know there was all this clamour in the summer to to be able to sign what you'd call a, a defensive deeper midfield player and it'd be really interesting to see what happens with Alexis McAllister because I I mean don't get me wrong I know he's played higher for Brighton and everyone talks about it the fact that oh he's playing out of position I've always said that I don't necessarily agree with that because his best games for Brighton, for me, were playing in a deeper position. However, obviously alongside Caicedo, I have no doubt he can play higher, lower. It doesn't really matter. He's such a quality player. The player he most reminds me of, actually, is Ilkay Gundogan at Manchester City. I think there was a season when Gundogan played as the deepest player in Manchester City midfield. He won the league, obviously. And he had that great adaptability. I think his record when he played in that deeper position, City won nearly every game and he was fantastic in the role. And Alexis McAllister reminds me a lot of Gundogan in the fact that, fact that he's so intelligent as a player. He makes up for them sort of physical limitations because of his technical excellence on the ball, but also out of possession. His intelligence of when to press, um, when to be able to manage distances, go into tackles so he doesn't, doesn't overexpose himself. And he's got, and we've seen it, I suppose, today in the way he played as well in terms of his interceptions, a great ability to read the play, nick the ball and then set the team off. And, if, and Klopp made a really good point at the end. He said that if you set up your structure and you've got smaller distances, to, or essentially this is what he was saying, if he's got smaller distances to manage, then there's no problem with him playing in that deep position. And I totally agree. If you've got an organised team and you've got him as the base of your midfielder, adding value to your team because he's so good on the ball for them deeper areas, but also being in a structure which means that he doesn't have to manage bigger distances. We've seen the problems with Fabinho last season. I went on record a lot of times saying everyone was talking about Fabinho losing his legs and all that kind of thing. But for me, he hadn't lost his legs. He'd never been able to run himself. It was just the fact that the structure around him meant that he had to cover two bigger distances and Liverpool ultimately struggled because of that. And I think if you put Alexis McAllister in last year's team as the, as the deepest midfield player, he'd struggle again. But this season, Liverpool much more organised, have better players in that midfield section of the pitch. The units of the team 
the distances are much better and he's thriving in that. And I think he's really coming into his own. I thought some of his passing today was magnificent, but I thought the most important thing was the way he was able to protect, shield the defence, step in and, and also set up counter-pressing situations where he put Liverpool on the front foot. So I felt it was a really good performance. And I, I don't know about you, David, it'll be interesting to see actually if he continues playing this well. I mean, the thought process will be that you know, Liverpool need to sign a deeper midfield player. And I'm not saying that they don't in terms of having maybe another specialist in there. If you think that Endo's getting a 30, year old, 30 years of age, as impressive as he has been, being a squad player, it'll be interesting to see where he positions Alexis McAllister and whether he sees him as this position going forward for the long term. Because I always look at Liverpool's sort of system now, especially off the ball, when you've got Curtis Jones, or Bosley, that kind of sort of profile and the legs that they have in there to be able to pressure high, that doesn't immediately speak to me of Alexis McAllister. I actually do think he's better in these deeper build-up areas. So it'll be interesting, but um, I felt he was super today, Dave. Yeah, to be honest, I think um, even if Liverpool win the Premier League this season with McAllister at the base of that midfield, I personally would still expect them to go out and, and sign someone, which I don't know if, if that's a bold take, but I just think that as much as you know, you talk about what he offers there, Mark, and that's all valid. I do think that there'll be maybe a school of thought that can we get someone who maybe is a slightly better all-round fit for that role. Um, but again, that's not an uncomplicated solution still because you know if he does move forward, like like he touched on there, you know he's going going up against you know Jones and Gravenberch then for minutes in that you know left-sided eight position and is that sort of the right kind of squad composition, you know, you can ask that question and uh, maybe Clock will stick with it going forward. We'll see. But um, one last update before we uh, finish um, something on Mohamed Salah. Uh, the Egyptian FA have come out after the game and said that Salah will return to England to receive treatment. He obviously injured his hamstring in Egypt's uh, second game of the Africa Cup of Nations. Um, and the hope is that if Egypt make it to the semi finals, which they're probably going to struggle to do without Salah when you look at the rest of the squad and with all due respect to, to, to all those players, obviously. Um, basically, that's going to rule Salah out effectively until the 7th of February, if that's what the timeline is, because um, that's when the AFCON semi-finals are. So it, even if Egypt do go out of AFCON, um, it looks like Salah is going to be missing um, the game away to Arsenal um, at the start of February. Could potentially be back on the 10th of February against Burnley. But really, I suppose a lot of Liverpool fans are like, you know what, it's a good thing to have Salah, you know, back in the camp and, you know, maybe Egypt going out of AFCON a bit earlier than expected. But the final of AFCON, I think, was on February the 11th or something like that. So it's looking like it's going to be sort of with the injury that he's got, it'd be one game early, if anything. Um, in terms of Egypt's actual, you know, progression chances, um, they play uh, Cape Verde in their last game tomorrow. Cape Verde have already qualified uh, for the knockout stages. Um, if they draw, um, they will need uh, Ghana and Mozambique to draw um, to go through automatically. Um, if they finish third in the group, um, which would happen if it, you know results went against them and they weren't able to beat Cape Verde, then obviously it comes down to the best sort of third place records um, and having not won a game and their goal difference would be zero, then they'd probably not have much of a chance. So essentially, they need to beat um, Kate Verde in that last game without Salah um, to guarantee that they're going to go through, really. And um, 
it's looking a bit sort of shaky for them at the moment. So we'll see what happens with that. But the upshot from a Liverpool standpoint is that Mohamed Salah probably uh, won't be back uh, until that game uh, against Burnley on February the 10th, regardless of what happens. And maybe Egypt do make it through and then he's flying back out. But we'll see. So so that was the update on Salah anyway. But Liverpool so far um, are doing well without him. Um, the next game is the second leg of the League Cup semi-final against Fulham um, on Wednesday. So hopefully they can book a place in Wembley there as they take in that 2-1 aggregate lead. Hopefully the next time we're speaking to you, we're speaking about Liverpool being cup finalists, but there's obviously plenty of work to do at Craven Cottage before Liverpool can start celebrating that. But we will leave it there for today's podcast. Thanks, Mark, for joining me. And thanks very much, everyone, for listening as well. Um, Like I said, we'll be back after that Fulham game in in midweek. So make sure you join us for our next match reaction episode. But until then, we'll leave you with Liverpool's top of the league. Take care.